0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Forrester CX Cast. This is Sam Stern, joined in studio by my colleague Adele Sage from our CX Council team. Hi, Adele. Hi, everyone. And we have a special guest on the phone, uh, John Lincoln, who is the customer experience leader for Duke Energy. And Duke is one of the largest regulated electric and gas utilities in the country. So, John, thank you so much for joining us and uh, agreeing to share. Uh, your experiences and customer experience on the podcast.
1: Yeah, you bet, Sam. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: And so we want to start back at the beginning. Um, How did you first get into customer experience, John? Start us there, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, sure. It was um, back in probably 2003-ish. I was a senior vice president at Wachovia Bank, and at that time, Fred Reicheld was just getting started with the notion of uh, net promoter and customer experience and all of those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Folks may know uh, Fred's name uh, as an industry expert. We worked with him on our customer experience program across Wachovia, which was a a very large bank. Uh, And so, you know, I saw the potential for for this and was involved in this, uh, all of these discussions and sort of organizing the practice and then the actual roles who would support it. And so following that um, series of of activities and a number of years, uh, I moved over to Duke Energy in 2010 to do something similar. Duke was on a transformational path. Really got started uh, as a result of a study done with Accenture around opportunities for regulated utilities going forward, understanding that the world was going to be changing, although at that time there wasn't quite the sense of urgency that there is today because of market forces. However, uh, the company was smart enough to realize that we couldn't sit back and just expect people to um, continue to use substantial amounts of power, which is where we generated our revenue at the time, that we actually had to create uh, a more positive experience and unique experience um, where possible with our customers which, of course, means that you've got to understand who your customers are. You know, in those days, when I first began, uh, we viewed our customers sort of as what we called you know, meters, basically, because they were accounts. Right. Certainly, there were people behind them, but but we really didn't focus on that because we were we had a mandate to treat everyone equally uh, by our commission. Well, we all recognize in business that we can't, can't absolutely do that because people are different in the ways... They go about being themselves and living their lives, and they have different needs. So this evolution has been going on in our company for about seven years-ish. Um, I was fortunate to be in on the ground floor of that, and so that's been my evolution as well. It's been a bit like taking a, uh, a step back in time when I came to work <laughs> for Duke. We didn't have a customer in our core values or our mission statement at the time, which is kind of unbelievable for a company, but the light bulbs began to go on nope. Pun intended, or maybe <laughs> totally intended. I
0: think uh, t- intended with, away, right? That's a good pun. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, right. With the awareness that again, that customer needs and not meters uh, were evolving, and we've seen that escalating. Um, and we don't look just at our peer utilities. We we look outside us, which is why we engage with Forrester uh, to have a much broader perspective, because our customers don't just do business. With Duke Energy in a vacuum, they do business with all kinds of providers.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, especially in your industry where, you know, there maybe aren't, they don't have as much choice to use one of your competitors. So it would be other companies they do business with who are more likely to uh, set their expectations for working with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we laugh because sometimes within... Duke, like many companies, we kind of look at our own navels and gaze at them and are very proud of them compared to other utilities, but our customers don't have any context for looking at other utilities. They, they don't do business with other utilities unless they're a very large uh, industrial customer who you know, crosses multiple states or something.
2: So speaking of going back in time, I'm curious, you know, if, if you could go back to, to, you know, John Lincoln just starting at Duke Energy, what advice would you give yourself that you, you know, something you wish you'd known that you learned later on or something that might have changed the trajectory?
1: Yeah, and this is kind of a core competency now, but I wish I'd known about journey mapping um, mm. the way I do today uh, when I joined the company. Because at that time, we had not evolved to that point. And personally, I had not evolved um, along with with respect to journey mapping as a competency. Uh, we had done some of it kind of under the auspices of touch point mapping, uh, some experience mapping, but we didn't have an architecture for it. And so if I could wave my magic wand and, um, you know, change things in 2010, for example, i I would go back as an expert in that and be able to move us forward because we would have gotten much more credibility early on uh, because that I see that as an organizational empathy kind mm-hmm. of stipulator um because people people it resonates with people when they sit in the session and I think there're you know two parts to the the i think the positive outcomes from that one is that you actually walk the experience, you can affect change. The other is this cultural change that begins to occur when those opportunities become uh, really relevant to the individual sitting in the session and they can actually walk in the customer's shoes, which is something we engineers or the folks in our company who tend to be engineers, finance uh, analysts, and those kinds of folks, very left brain, Mm. don't necessarily do in their day-to-day work. Right.
2: So John can you tell us about an initiative or an accomplishment that you're particularly proud of? I mean it sounds like the journey mapping was a good inflection point. Can you can you tell us about some other projects that you've worked on that have really yeah, yeah, made an I impact? Have a,
1: a great deal of uh, pride about our our what we call our customer promises. Um, I recognized early on that we were trying to boil the ocean <clears throat> when we were looking at where we should go and we Although people in their minds had an idea of what an experience should look like, they really didn't have sort of common language in simple terms to describe what that experience uh, could be. Mm-hmm. And so we did some research. I had done something similar in a prior life, but not exactly. So we modified that. Uh, we worked with internal folks, uh, an employee, a group of employees who were passionate, to craft some Simple, what, what I call simple guideposts uh, to basically um, filter any activity we would engage in through. So whether it's design or redesign uh, in particular, to have some guideposts. So we called them the customer promises. We then took those and went out to our customers, and it was fascinating. They helped us retool them slightly and get them... Um, get them to the point that they really resonated, and we had vehement head nodding amongst customers Mm. about what they were. So the four are, um, I value you as a customer, pretty simple, sounds pretty simple, but they're key things that people do in their roles uh, that are unique to their roles, that all support really valuing the customer's time and valuing them as, um, as an individual. Um, I'm easy to do business with. Well, that seems pretty simple in its concept, but it can look different in various areas, but an overarching uh, guidepost as well. I listen for your needs. I offer you relevant solutions, sort of that listening, active engagement, um, and then offering something that's relevant, not just something that's on a script, um, Mm -hmm. and that allows for much more automation and, and, and just really... It's that active listening and then offering something that that makes sense to the customer, obviously, and then finally works to get it right. The, I worked to get it right the first time, which was fascinating because customers helped us recraft that one from "I get it right the first time every time," which which is totally unattainable. <laughs> and customers told us that and said, "You're human beings," which I found. Very gratifying to hear customers saying about their big, you know, mean utility that we're actually actually human beings um, and that we're going to make mistakes and that it's more important to show the effort uh, associated with that than um, to commit to getting it right. The other part of that is that if we say we got it right, then we're setting the rules and they're not the customer's uh, rules themselves. So those have been a big hit in the company and they've made our uh, activities and uh, focus areas much clearer as we go into, as I said, design work and um, redesign work. Because they're they're very simple. They're simple to articulate, and they're fairly simple then to tailor to a specific, uh, specific role within an organization, within our organization or the various business areas.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and you, you sort of mentioned how, or you alluded to the fact that they can be Um, tailored a little bit by different parts of the business. I'm wondering, is there an example of how, you know, uh, customer service versus engineering versus, uh, you know, employees out, technicians out in the field, um, how they would deliver on one of those promises in a different way or how they would internalize it in a different way?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So a combination of working with our analytics folks and our voice of customer Insights, uh, as well as complaints and those kinds of things. The areas that are kind of hot points, uh, bringing those into an education session or a brainstorming session with, I'm going to use the, what we call our delivery organization or distribution organization. They're the field technicians who actually connect power and work on, uh, you know, the power lines and those kinds of things. Uh, and they do have, they do uh, face customers frequently. So one of the things that um, that they identified in being um, valuing that customer was being warm in their approach to the customer and introducing themselves. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we had seen was that there were, there were a variety of sort of techniques that our field folks used when they introduced themselves. And they also were not dressing necessarily uniformly. So based on our research, there were some simple things which were, you know, be in the standard uniform, uh, be gracious when you introduce yourself to the customer uh, and use their name because you know their name. There were some, you know, very simple things. We also did some videos of that moment, um, not, not good interaction in a humorous way, right. and a very positive interaction in a, you know, professional sort of way that was uh, engaging to the customer. And so, you know, that was, that's just one example but that kind of thing, um, so and that differs, of course, because of the context that the uh, field person is interacting with the customer within, compared uh, to the uh, a phone experience, for example. Similar stuff, you know, war- well, warmly welcome the customer when you speak to them, uh, value their time, obviously, but their actions that are that that are a combination of things things that are most critical in driving customer satisfaction, so it's using data to identify those things, and then those behaviors that are then sort of identified by the business area because then they own them. It's theirs. Mm -hmm. It's not a corporate group pushing them down on top of them. And so it's a combination of those things because then they can coach uh, within the context of their particular organization and the experience that they create with the customer.
0: Yeah, and I love that example of uh the employees out in the field because as you said, they are interacting with customers, but it's not maybe what you'd think of traditionally as a customer facing customer service type of role. So it maybe isn't something that comes naturally to them or that they're, you know, expecting to spend their, their day doing, right? Those friendly greetings to customers.
1: Right. I give a, a wow example. We had a, a situation where um elderly customers home without a uh without power the tech, field tech came and visited. Um, the woman had not had her morning coffee, so he sent one of the guys um, out to get a cup of some coffee for the, the person while he was checking things out. Wow. Came back and just absolutely wowed the customer. <laughs> well, you might do that as a traditional thing, but think about that as a, how that values that person yeah. and how good that felt to that person. And then it gave us an opportunity to show what differentiates. Uh, what, what kind of behavior can actually go up above and beyond? So it's not just delivering on the experience. It's actually creating a wow within the experience. And, you know, again, it's a, a reward recognition opportunity that kind of feeds into that part of the, um, to the, the six disciplines and the one being cult- culture, right? That we talk about within or Forrester, uh, foresters practice
0: yeah no, that's a great example and and as you said it's 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 one of those opportunities to then say, Yes, this is exactly the type of of what we mean by delivering on one of these customer promises and and so people then can say, Oh okay, I can now I get it. envision this a little bit more exactly
1: yeah it, it we' you know we're turning an ocean liner every day, and so we've got to be intentional about that. We need some guideposts. we don't want to be too prescriptive with things because our employees are as different as our customers are. Mm. And so we want them to feel that it's theirs, right? Because they're smart people. They know how to do things. We all need some guideposts or, you know, guardrails to operate with them so we don't kind of go off the cliff.
2: You've shared a lot about the ways that you've brought, you know, empathy in and helped employees change their behavior. Can you talk about some of the ways that you've changed the experience itself in addition to the ways that you've had employees change their behavior?
1: What we recognized was that we had a multitude of communications going out to our customers uh, from a variety of groups around the company. Basically, if you had a budget and you could pull a customer list, you could send information to customers in virtually any format that Mm -hmm. you really wanted to do that. And so what we saw, both in our customer satisfaction data, but then also internally through conversations with a variety of areas, um, customers were getting confusing messages, Uh, they were not in a single sort of Duke voice or look and feel, Uh, they didn't meet branding standards oftentimes, Uh, they came at times that may have conflicted with other information we were providing them. And quite frankly, we weren't optimized because we were probably, and certainly, I say, would say, creating noise and static in um, in our customers' minds because we were providing stuff that may not have been relevant at the time, but someone in our organization felt uh, was because it was in their you know, their goals or what have you, or in their within their purview of the organization. So we saw that. Um, I put that on a list of one of the biggest concerns um, from a strategic standpoint. We had. That got picked up, fortunately, and this is a, a key point I would make to anyone. Um, we had an opportunity uh, that presented itself. Senior executive leadership uh, wanted to do another strategic look at the company. Great. Well, put something on the list and push it that you believe is a major issue. Um, and that's what I did with the communications stuff. That got picked up as a strategic effort. Um, we formed a group. And, and pulled together a lot of the key, the key communicators within the company. Not every communicator, but the key areas that did the most communicating. Um, pulled them together. We built a group. Um, and it's not completely within one organization. Some of it is matrix, but we worked on a strategy around this. So identify where we wanted to go conceptually, um, where we were at the time and how we needed to evolve to get to where we wanted to be and it's been incredibly powerful. Um, we are much more intentional about what we're sending out and it's, it's tailored by our what we call jurisdictions or the states that we do business with them because they're different. Their needs are different but there's an umbrella message that we're trying to convey at any given time and, um, and it supports the brand. Then it trickles and I don't want to say trickles down, it links to other messages so that we see an opportunity if we're promoting a product or service. We can also do a little bit of education in there uh, as well and link to our brand strategy with that. We see opportunities to consolidate communications rather than doing one off. So we're saving money, we're getting um, a much clearer message out to our customers, uh, and and we're I think we're becoming much more effective. Our J.D. Power scores have improved they are we still have a ways to go but we've been doing this now for about a year and a half two years um and it it it's really starting to get traction we're also seeing as a result of that a uh, a much greater focus on the overall experience because communication touches every experience mm. it is it is the connective tissue i would say through everything other than obviously on uh, the employee piece but it is it is the critical factor that that really makes or breaks any of the activities that we have in place.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting way to think about it, the the fact that it's sort of, you know, in between big moments of the experience. That's what the experience is. All those communications that you're pushing out to customers, and are they on brand? Are they relevant? Are they, you know, do they sort of seem like they're coming from the same organization or not? And that can yeah, make it can, either easier for you to deliver those big moments or harder.
1: And do you know you're sending them? do we have have intelligence within the company to know that we are actually sending these things and if we don't then that's a problem so how do we get smarter about what's going on well you govern that stuff and you give the business areas a reason to come to you because you can put out more effective communications on their behalf and with them Uh, and then you can track those things then you can model the responses and then you can begin to do much more sophisticated uh, analytical and uh, planning activities around uh, communications, so that you're not just assessing an individual communication. You can actually assess the pairings or the consolidation opportunities that you have, and test to see whether those are effective or not. Again, it's all it's all in the interest of getting smarter and much more intentional about what we're doing on behalf of the customer, because that is going to make the
0: difference based on you know your years of experience as a customer experience practitioner going all the way back to 2003, which is um, in the customer experience world. An uh, eternity. One yeah. of the originals. <laughs> You're your original on this just about. Um, what, what, what advice would you give to someone else who's maybe newer in, in customer experience or newer in their transformation effort at their company?
1: Sure. I, I would suggest... Get an understanding of your culture in your organization. Mm-hmm. So by that, I mean interview people about what they view, in their words, the customer experience is within the organization. So key players, identify your uh, the people who are naturally sort of have a propensity to care about that um, and hold on to them tight. Um, <laughs> become smarter about what intentional management, customer experience management is, because there are... Forrester has a great model for that um, so that you don't boil the ocean and run in five gazillion directions, so instead you only run in five million directions. (laughs) Uh, Well, because everyone will define what customer experience is for you unless you do it more intentionally and help sort of steer that ship and um, narrow the focus. Because you can, honestly, you'll never have enough resource to go do everything. And do you really need to go do everything anyway, empirically? Um, so I would suggest as also as you see opportunities, jump on them. Do not sit back and wait. Try it. Um, avail yourself if you have a Forrester subscription, avail yourself of your advisor because they are critical uh, in helping be an adjunct adjunct member of your team to Again, augment uh, the resources, that limited resources that you will no doubt have. But narrow your focus and be very intentional. Get some early, quick wins, and then just continue pushing. I, I call it pushing the boulder up a muddy slope in the rain mm-hmm. because there are days when it's just slippery as heck and you think the clouds will never part, and then suddenly the clouds part, the sun comes out, the mud bakes, and it's dirt, and you can push it. So you make it up a little bit, and it may slide down a little bit, but you just keep going. So be resilient. Yeah,
0: Great advice. That is very good advice. Uh, in, in, if you think back over across your career, is there any sort of piece of advice that stands out to you that has been um, you know, sort of echoing in your mind as, as you've been on this personal journey and these journeys at these two companies?
1: Yeah, so this kind of speaks to something else I'm doing um, at mm-hmm. Duke. Uh, which is something called StrengthsFinder. I don't know how many folks have engaged in it, but I would recommend it very highly. It's a tool by Gallup that identifies your top five talents, really the way we're wired. So to your point, uh, sort of where I see uh, have seen you know my focus be most effective is when I've I'll make a parallel in terms of understanding our customers. We also have to understand each other when we're internal inside mm-hmm. a company because we work so tightly together and collaborating. What I found is I'm much more effective at the message I convey and engaging with a, a constituent audience within the company if I understand who they are, you know, what their business needs are, but also who they are just from a wiring standpoint. So that I can be much more targeted around analytics. If a person has much more an analytical focus, I can be much more sort of the empathy side of things if, um, if the person has that sort of makeup as well so that I, I can be more, more effective that way. The other thing that comes from that, and I'm a certified facilitator within Duke uh, in doing this, I found it to be extremely effective also at gaining credibility with folks that I don't know mm-hmm. because suddenly they're getting something of value from me that's not necessarily related to customer, although I always frame it that, if we can understand each other much more effectively, we can collaborate more effectively on behalf of our customers. We need to do the same thing with our customers and understand who they are, because we'll all operate more effectively in the long run. And so, it's been it's been something I think that's a bit unique to what I do uh, as a CX leader, um, and it's something that fits my talent as well. So, uh, you know, I would I would just recommend folks do it just for themselves to understand. Mm-hmm. The way they're wired, but I think more broadly, it's, it's incredibly effective. Given that we all have to collaborate more than ever, in becoming much more agile at what we do, and uh, that creates challenges sometimes. So, better understanding equals better results.
2: Can you give an example of a group you've used this with, where you've you know, any basically gotten them to to come on board, just yeah. through using StrengthsFinder?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, our corporate communications group mm-hmm. works hand in hand with our marketing communications group, and they were having some challenges uh we're moving much more to an agile environment where there are sprints of activities um, and these teams are very tight knit they're small and as a result they're because they're so collaborative, sometimes role clarity comes into question because Everyone's brainstorming something, and people begin to, depending on their talent. There's a talent, and I love this in Strengths Finder called Achiever. People who have Achiever love checklists. They mm-hmm. just love to get stuff done. Sometimes it doesn't matter what it is, and if they're bored, they make up stuff to go do. And so, what we were finding, as an example uh, to your question, was that there were there were t- conflicts on this particular team because both of the leads of certain activities had Achiever, and there wasn't yet enough work for the team to do, so they were making up work and they were basically sniffing in each other's sandboxes and doing stuff within that. I was able to identify that, and we were, as um, the the rub that can occur when two people have Achiever and the role isn't as clear. So two mm-hmm. things happened. We, we adjusted one of the roles, and then we also recognized that once the work was coming in, there would be a need to prioritize things and get get those things underway, and we'd be able to do that. Just having an open, honest dialogue around that, based on the way people were wired, reduced the tension and the second guessing and the really the uh, ascribing motive to someone's behavior kinds of issues that we too often have when we're talking about interactions. That was that was incredibly powerful, and they're much much more effective as a team. And their level of engagement, their discretionary discretionary effort they're applying has increased. So it it gave me credibility with that organization as well as I've been looking at all of this communications work that we've been doing as well. So win win win.
2: <laughs> and satisfying for you, I'm sure.
1: Oh my gosh. Well, I'm maximizer and strength finder, so I like taking what's <laughs> what's good and helping it become superb. So oh, you know, yes. it just makes me happy on every level. <laughs>
0: That's great. Well, well, John, uh, we really appreciate you joining us on CX This has been fantastic, um, uh, listeners. We will post some links uh, to some of the Forrester resources that John was referencing, and also to the Strengths Finder um, that he mentioned there at the end. And we thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you next week on Forrester CX Cast. Bye for now. <music> Thanks for listening. Remember, your customer's perception is your customer experience reality.